Last week, we began looking at this passage, and I just want you to look in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 5. If I had to identify what I believe to be a key verse in this section, in these five verses, it would have to be verse 1, where it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, in verse 2, as we've said before, it's almost verbatim the very same thing that God said to Jonah in chapter 1, verse 2. But now, two chapters later, this is after he runs, after he goes and gets on the ship, after God sends the storm to arrest the attention of the mariners, they throw Jonah overboard. God prepares the great fish to come and swallow Jonah up. Jonah's been in the belly of the fish for three days, three nights. He prays his prayer of repentance in chapter 2, and the Lord sovereignly, miraculously <laughs> leads the fish to spit Jonah up on dry ground. And so somewhere along the shoreline of the Mediterranean, as we learned last week, he is probably five to 600 miles, depending on where he was put out at, still five to 600 miles from his destination where he's supposed to go. And so the Lord a second time has enough grace, enough love, enough mercy, enough restoration to still want to use this hard-headed, backslidden half the time prophet who you and I, if we're honest, can identify with. Because we all know what it is to be in situations and circumstances where our natural inclination is not to do what Jesus wants us to do. And that's where Jonah found himself. And one, one writer said that maybe one of the reasons why we are always so mesmerized or at least fascinated by the story of Jonah is because the story of Jonah is the story of us. I definitely believe that's true when it comes to the fact. And here's the sermon. Here's the message. Here's the lesson to take home with you. Aren't you glad, ladies and gentlemen, that our God is a God of second chances. He's a God who is rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in forgiveness and restoration. And He gives us the ability to acknowledge our sin and repent. And just like the prodigal son where it says in Luke 15 that He came to the end of Himself. I'm not sure you can get any more at the end of yourself than what Jonah got in chapter 2 when he's in the belly of the fish. And God brought him to an awareness of his sin. We talked about that two weeks ago, three weeks ago, how he repented. He acknowledged his wrong. The fish spits him out, and here comes the word of the Lord. God's instructions, God's command to him. But this time he obeyed. Verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. We learned last week what all that meant. That it literally would take three days to walk the circumference of the city. It was so large. 
They, many scholars believe that the population, the adult population, was anywhere around 125,000 to 150,000. Huge metropolitan city. It was, it was uh, the main city of the known world at the time. A major political center. Uh, just, just a lot of activity and hub around the city of Nineveh. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was the empire in power at the time. It was 20 miles long, 12 miles wide, 60 miles in circumference. It was surrounded, scholars say, archaeologists say, by a large wall that went all the way around the city that was 100 feet high. Ten stories. Now that's remarkable. No telling how long that it took to construct that wall. They said that it was so broad that three chariots could drive side by side on the top of the wall of Nineveh. It was defended, that, that, that whole uh, 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 60, 60 miles of wall around the city uh, was defended by, by 1,500 towers that were 200 feet in height. So you're talking about a city that was from miles away, towered over everything there in the desert as you would approach it. Don't you know, guys, you have to understand, don't you know that I'm sure Jonah was feeling a little intimidated? You had to know that he was as he approached the city and he sees this towering city, towering walls, the 1,500 towers, the watchtowers. So he shows up and he does exactly what God told him to do. He preaches a message of judgment and repentance. And as the scripture says, uh, uh, notice verse 4, he enters into the city a day's journey. In other words, he got smack dab in the middle of the city, and that's when he decided to start preaching. If I understand what is being said here in the Hebrew language, it literally means that he began to preach, and he didn't just say it once. That really was his message. He would say it over and over and over and over again. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In other words, in 40 days, God's going to overthrow the city. Something so remarkable took place in verse 5. I love what it says. Because we see, ladies and gentlemen, not just a fresh start for Jonah, but we see a fresh start for a lost world. Not just a backslidden believer, but people that didn't even know God. And the Bible says, so the people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. How far-reaching is God's grace? Can you exhaust God's grace? Can you come to an end of God's grace? Can you sin more than grace can cover? Can you get to a point where you are irredeemable? You can't be salvaged. 
years ago, I'll never forget, we were in a staff meeting, a pastoral staff meeting. In fact, we were having a pastoral staff meeting as we were headed down the interstate to a staff retreat. And we were talking. Somebody brought up the name of a young man who was in our school. And this young man struggled, he struggled, he struggled. Man, it seemed like every year he just was a young man that just, his home life was, a, was in disarray. He struggled academically, behaviorally, spiritually. And I made this statement. And boy, I so regret making it. Preacher was driving. And I said, I tell you what, I tell you what, I am just sick and tired of dealing with that young man. I tell you what, I am through dealing with him. And it was almost like somebody stabbed Brother Dan in the heart. And he said, he winced. He winced when I said it and he said, oh, oh, don't ever say that. Please don't say that. And then it dawned on me what he was trying to get me to understand. Don't ever say you're done with so-and-so. Because God is never done with so-and-so. God is not done. Can I just say, praise the Lord, God specializes in hard-to-deal-with situations. He specializes in hard-to-deal-with people. We may not want to admit it, gang, but I'm telling you, all of us have been there. We've been the ones who've been hard to deal with. We've been stubborn and hard-headed, just like Jonah, just like the Ninevites. I said last week that I guarantee you that Jonah was thinking, Lord, why in the world would you even want to fool with these wicked, heathen, crazy Assyrians? And yet God did, and he had a plan. There's a note of clarification that I want to make as we move forward. Please hear me now. While God is a God of mercy and grace, God is not obligated to give any one of us a second chance. He doesn't owe that to us. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't owe us anything. He graciously extends mercy and forgiveness and restoration. We talked about last week that there are two proofs in this text of the sovereignty of God. The first one being that Jonah, in fact, in the end, ended up doing God's will and fulfilling God's plan, even though at the beginning of the story, he was diametrically opposed to doing it. That reminds me, friend, that God's will is going to get accomplished one way or the other, and I believe that. And I can either get in on what he's doing and get in on the blessing, or he'll find somebody else to do it, and I'll miss out on the blessing. I'm also reminded by the fact that the city of Nineveh repented. And we pointed out last week that many believe that that phrase, that, that Nineveh was a great city, that it literally means it was a great city to God. 
expressing, as one writer put it, God's dominion over the staunchest of Israel's foes. That reminds me that God even controls my enemies as well as my allies. That God values many times what I disesteem. He loves those that I loathe. He esteems those that I dismiss and I ignore. So what does this second time mean for us? The fact that God is a second time God, a second chance God, a third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance, that God's grace and mercy is abundant. What does that mean? Well, here's what that means. Truth number one. Are you still with me? Say amen. It means number one, as long as you are breathing, repentance and restoration are possible. As long as you're breathing, repentance and restoration are possible. I have said it. I have felt it. I have believed it. I've looked at a situation and I've said, that's it. That's hopeless. I just don't see a way any, any good can come from that. I just don't see how in the world, there, there, there's no way in the world that that situation can be solved. And you know what? From a human perspective, I was exactly right. There is no way in this world that it could happen apart from God. But I have watched God, and you have too, do what I at times had said was impossible even for God to do. I want you to know. You say, Christian, when does somebody run out of hope? I tell you when they run out of hope, when they draw their last breath. But as long as they're breathing, as long as they're leaving, living, there's hope. There's a chance. Psalm 86 verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive your plenteous in mercy, that means it's running over. You're plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. And then in 10 verses later, Psalm 86 verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. Oh, dear friend, I don't know who needs to hear this tonight. I don't know where it needs to be applied to your life or your situation. I just know this, praise the Lord, that as long as there's breath in your body or in anybody else's, there is hope for life change, restoration, salvation. That means don't quit praying for whoever it is you're praying for right now. That means don't get so discouraged that you're just going to throw in the towel over whoever it is or whatever situation you're dealing with. As long as God is on the throne and he's always and always will be on the throne and as long as there's breath in your body, there is hope. Don't give up on people. Don't give up praying, don't give up teaching, don't give up working, don't give up being nice, don't give up being kind, don't give up being gracious. God's power is sufficient. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit that we all need. The love, the joy, the peace, the 
temperance, the meekness, the long-suffering, the faith, the gentleness. We don't have any of that in ourselves, but praise the Lord, God gives it to us. Truth number two. And I love this statement. Paul Tripp said, there is no finality of human action that can't be turned around by the glorious grace of Jesus. And I believe that. That doesn't mean that it erases scars. It doesn't mean you can change the past. But it does mean that our failures do not have to be final. Praise the Lord. Truth number two. God uses people who are messed up. And he uses people who have messed up. And he uses people that will mess up. He used Jonah. I mean, this man who was diametrically opposed to doing what God wanted, so delusional in his rebellion that he thought he could actually run away from God and get away from God's presence and somehow go anywhere in this world where God already wasn't? That's delusional. No less or no more delusional than we have been at times in our faulty thinking and understanding. No less disobedient than we have been at times. And I know this, gang, if God can use Jonah and restore Jonah, he can restore us. Jonah was messed up. He did mess up. And he wouldn't mess up again. You come back, because we're going to find out in chapter 4 how bad he messed up again. But you know what? God used him. In spite of the fact he was a broken man, in spite of the fact he wasn't perfect, God used him. God will use you. That does not excuse our sin. That doesn't negate human responsibility. It doesn't do away with our obligation to be spiritually in tune with the Lord. But that gives us hope, ladies and gentlemen. There might be somebody sitting here tonight and you say, Christian, God can't use me. God wouldn't ever use me. Or I no, no, no. God longs to use your life. God uses broken things. He uses messed up things that have enough trust in him to let him restore them. Will you let God restore you? Will you fall in love with Jesus? Will you, will you draw near to him? You see, the enemy says you're done. That's what Satan says. He says you're not going to come back from this mistake I don't know what the mistake is. I don't know what the sin is, but he is there. He is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the accuser, Revelation 12, 10. He accuses us before God. He accuses us to ourselves. He accuses us to one another, and he accuses God to us. He's the accuser. (laughs) But Jesus is the advocate. 1 John 2, verse 1, we have an advocate. Brothers, I write unto you that that no man sin, but if anyone sin, John said, we have an advocate, one with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
And he is our propitiation for sin. I love what A.T. Robertson said, that Greek scholar. He said, Jesus is qualified to plead our case and to enter the Father's presence. And oh, dear one, we don't have the ability to plead our own case. That's why we need Jesus to plead our case for us. I want you to hear me tonight, dear one, just as sincerely as I know how to say it. You see, there are times when Satan, the accuser, he says, Christian, you're not worthy. And you know what? He's exactly right. Christian, you're not fit. You're not worthy. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. He's right. Christian, you're not worthy to enjoy the life that God's given you. You don't deserve that. He's exactly right. You're not worthy to be in heaven. He's exactly right. You're not worthy to be saved. He's exactly right. You're not worthy to know what it is to be used by God. And he's exactly right. Because ladies and gentlemen, whether it's us living the abundant life or one day experiencing eternal life, none of us are worthy. And it is not based on my worthiness or your worthiness because none of us will ever be worthy. But the reason we enjoy and experience the blessings of God and God using our lives is not because we're worthy, but because he is worthy. And that's where the worthiness comes from. He is able. He's the worthy one. When Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord, and that he enabled me, and he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. He doesn't say that he counted me worthy. He said he counted me faithful. God uses people who are messed up, and have messed up, and will mess up. Truth number three, the burden of success in God's work doesn't rest on your shoulders. It rests on God's shoulders. You see, God never calls us to what he calls us to because we are worthy or able but because he is worthy and able. Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians 2 verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you. God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, if I even have a desire to do what God said, it's because God put that desire in my heart. If I even have a thought about doing what God said or giving ear to the word of the Lord, it's because God enabled all of that. Robertson said, God is the energy and the energizer. We get the power from him. Now gang, you and I don't, nor can we change anyone We don't change anybody. We can't change anybody. We are only an instrument in the hand of the one who makes the change. God was simply saying in this text, Jonah, you go preach the message. 
I'll do the rest. And if you read the message, it's very short and simple and to the point. You're like, yes, sir. You need to preach more that way, CP, right? Short, simple, to the point. What was this message? (laughs) Hey, in 40 days, God's going to send judgment. (laughs) That was it. Jonah, you go do what I tell you, and I'll take care of the rest. And ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what happened. He had enough trust in God to obey him. And then he watched God do the impossible. Because it's not about our power and our ability. It's about his. There's somebody here tonight and you're struggling because you're debating over whether or not to simply fully obey God in an area of your life. I don't know what that area is. But I want us to remember tonight and rejoice. We're not the difference makers to begin with. He is. And his presence and his power makes the difference. And when we just trust him and obey... Then the Lord begins to work behind the scenes where we can't even see. That's called second chance grace. And God wants all of us to experience that.